0: This is the Visual Developers Podcast with your hosts Lacey Kessler, Matt Vargis, and Ben Parker. Interviews, no code reviews, tutorials, and more. We're here to talk about all things no code.
1: Hey, everybody! Been here with Visual Dev FM, back for another episode, and I'm uh, excited as always to be joined by my co-hosts Lacey and Matt. Hello. hey And this week, uh, we have an awesome interview with Kat Noon, who is an incredible designer. We originally had her schedule to come on during our focus on women in uh, tech, but uh, some things didn't work out schedule-wise, but we still got to talk with her. Lacey interviewed her, and uh, super excited for you to listen to this. She talked about um, her role and her her time in, in tech, but then also a little bit of no code uh, spoiler alert. She's a fan of no code. So um, what you can hear all about it in uh, her interview with Lacey. I'm looking forward to you listening to that. Now here's the disclaimer. In this episode uh, you might hear the F word. Wait, no, you will hear the F word. I think five times, uh, possibly more. If, if you are, we did not believe this. because um, we're adults, so we're just going to let it fly. But if you're somebody who's offended by the language, um, here's your chance to turn that off or do something else or pause it. Um, but uh, since we can all say the F word as many times as... No, that's not how this is going to go. But <laughs> now we're going to say the F word all the time in this episode. You're going to hear it a lot. No, joking. Just want to let you know. Uh, so if you are someone who like listens to podcasts around your kiddos or whatever, uh, fair warning, there might be some language that occurs I just wanted to let you know. So before we get to that uh, interview, however, as always, we want to talk about what's new in no-code. So let's go to our no-code roundup. Um, this past weekend, Nelson has been continuing to stream every weekend. And I think it is 10 o'clock Pacific time to 12 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. And it has been great. Uh, his streams have been really good. If you, I don't know if you've been catching them but it's definitely worth your time. This past weekend, he went backwards uh, for you if you're a power user, but he, uh, I mean, the stream was really great. He talked about learning the basics of Webflow's content management system. There are a lot of people who were uh, people who used Webflow a little bit or who may be new to it and uh, picked up a lot and he answered a ton of questions. It was a really solid stream. If you're looking at picking up Webflow and jumping into it more, or I'm sure he's going to cover more advanced topics too. Make sure that you are following Pixel Geek. You're subscribing to his channel on YouTube. It is worth your time. You want to check that out. Um, Raymar, hey, we've talked about him a few times on this podcast. Such a great person, a great uh, a great voice in the no code community. And he actually posted that he's been taking a break from no code. To support local creatives and he's actually been doing these streams where he has these he's letting it because if you don't know i think we have talked about it here but he video production in his background he actually has this space where and he even had speaking of nelson earlier he had nelson and he nelson did a, a debate with somebody who was a a wordpress uh, uh developer and they debated winflow versus versus wordpress which is really really cool uh, but since he has this space he's been using it to help local creatives and artists and so he's been having these musicians on it is really cool highly suggest you checking it out um, because it's a great example of of helping out people during this time and and using what you have to do that so pretty neat
0: i agree i think it's so kind of him to do this and to use his skills to help other people especially since You know, artists cannot perform in front of large groups, and there goes their revenue, especially if they're indie and just trying to make it. And so I'm really excited about that. And then also with his no code video that he's doing, um, if you haven't seen it yet, there'll be a link in the uh, show notes, but you should definitely check that out as well.
1: A thousand percent. So good. So thank you, Raymar. Um, And hope you go check that out. It's really neat. I saw this tweet from at Johnny No Code. Uh, he put some Bubble No Code tips, which was really great. There were links to uh, uh, this epic list of Bubble resources from the Bubble Forum. Um, Airdev Code speed optimization. So how they develop in Bubble, which was really, I thought, insightful and really great. And then a guide to reusable elements. So if you're a Bubble user, definitely check out that tweet link in the show notes, as always. Webflow. So Webflow updates. Webflow had a couple of cool things to drop. First, discounts for e-commerce are now in beta. So if you're somebody who's building e-commerce sites and you've been looking forward to this feature for a while, now's your chance to jump in. There is a link in the show notes to this tweet where there is a link to go grab a chance to jump into this beta and check it out, but it's super, super cool. I'm glad to see this finally drop.
2: I am so pumped for this. I, I put out a tweet the other day that like, I think this is, you know, one step closer to becoming like a really, really great Shopify alternative. Right now it's a good, like it's a good Shopify alternative um, if you're running a store, but there are some missing features, but discount codes, it was a big one for me because that was like, that's such a core feature. Um, and so it's cool to see that come out props to the Webflow team because um, I feel like so many people were asking for that and I'm excited to see how they add to it. Cause I think there's like a couple pieces, like there's, you can, Ben, correct me if I'm wrong here. You can discount based off of fixed price, like a fixed dollar amount or a percentage, but like, you can't do like advanced rules yet, maybe in the future. Is that correct?
1: I think there are some plans in the future to do some more advanced things with that for sure. Um, I can't speak to all of it, but yeah, I know they want to. <laughs> cool. I want know they want to expand that feature for sure. Right now it's like you said, fixed amounts, percentages right now. You can't schedule them or you can't have, like you said, like all these advanced rules or that part's not there yet, but sure.
2: Dude, it's a step in the right direction.
1: It's perfect. I love it. I'm I'm looking forward to adding this into some sites that I've, I've been working on as well. So.
0: Do you think Webflow is kind of looking to take on WordPress and Shopify? As like a combining in one that actually lets you have complete design control and things like I've, that.
2: I bet Ben, I don't know if Ben can answer that or not. So I'm just going to answer from my perspective, but I am willing to say, yes, I think they are going to, I my thing my hope for webflow. And I think this is their goal too. I think they're going to take over WordPress in terms of building static websites, marketing websites, um, blogs, things like that. But long term, I would love to see them catch up with Shopify. Um, it's just Shopify's advantage they've had like ten years of compounding features, specifically yeah. around e-commerce. Whereas, right. but their their disadvantage is their designer; it's not a great experience. Whereas yeah. Webflow has, you know, I have seven or eight years of compounding features in a designer, and so uh,
0: sure, I think yeah, hopefully I'm- they catch up. Yeah. Yeah. I want them I mean, obviously I want Webflow to take over the world, but I really, I'm, I like, I want to see them in every sphere. I want to see them, you know, dominate WordPress, dominate Shopify. But then I also want to see them, like to where you can build your own mobile apps and web apps all within Webflow, like, you know, the, the Amazon of no code. And so I really want to see that, but it just, it always makes me wonder like where are they going? What are they doing? You know, like what? What's the the long term play here? So I think that's great.
1: I want to plead the fifth uh, and not comment, but I would love to hear Matt talk about Matt. You posted about this not too long ago uh, that you were going to take a day and learn Liquid. Uh, <laughs> you want to talk, so for those of you who don't know, Shopify is it is a no code tool as far as you don't have to know code. You can stand up an e-commerce shop and you can sell things. And Shopify does have all these really great features like user logins and they have like uh, the ability to subscribe to products, which is really big. I know a lot of people have that, I think. And then they have a lot like a plugin ecosystem, just like WordPress, where you can do, um, you know, uh, claiming lost cards and all that stuff. Yeah. You know, all those different pieces. And so, but the downside is, if you wanted to start from scratch with Shopify, then you would have to learn liquid, which is their programming language. It's the language that you create use to create templates. Um, You want to talk about what that experience was like, Matt?
2: Yeah. So liquid is built on top of Ruby. Um, And so like it's all templating language type stuff and you, you know, you have your static elements like your text, but like, When you have anything dynamic like products and pricing and names coming from some, like a shop collection, you have to insert liquid code. And liquid's really powerful. I think if I spent a lot of time learning it, I could get the hang of it. And there's a tool, like there's tools like Udesli to help you convert your Webflow site to Shopify, but... I just, I didn't find it super intuitive. I kind of felt like there were some missing pieces there. I think you is is continuously getting better because I tried the same thing out a year ago and it was a much, um, what's the word? It wasn't a great experience and they've improved on it since then, but I don't, I don't think it's there yet. And so I kind of took a, a stab at, you know, spending a day really digging into liquid, um, and, and learning exactly how that language works. And obviously I can't do all that in a day. Um, But, you know, I took a Webflow site, I exported it, and then I just used uh, the the template that Jan created, the store template. And I was just trying to take these liquid templating snippets and make it work with the Webflow site. And it just wasn't an easy or fun experience uh, because you have to think about what if there are no products here? How do I deal with empty states? Like, um, what about, like, I think Shopify, and I might be wrong, but like, in Webflow, you can create multiple static pages, but in Shopify, you have to designate one page as your template for all of your other static pages, which is kind of weird. Um, I could be wrong on that front. I, I might be, but um, I work mainly in Webflow and so I'm used, so used to being able to hit plus new page and, and go from there, but I was reading the Desley docs and it was like, yeah, you have to have one page as your default for all static pages. And so it just wasn't you know, a great experience. I just think I, I have to spend more time learning Liquid. Um, but that's why I was, I I said in my final tweet of that day, I said my last bullet point was I desperately hope webflow e-commerce gets better. So I don't have to deal with liquid.
1: As someone who has worked in Shopify and liquid feels and all kinds of, uh, I read your tweet and I instantly laughed out loud. and was like, I cannot wait to hear the report on this. Just, because I know what a headache it can be. Um, So uh, thank God for the no code movement. All right. Um, uh, Also from the Webflow camp, uh, they released um, a case study this week featuring Rakuten um, and why they chose Webflow over WordPress. And we've talked about this many times on this podcast already, but if, for the next person who tells me that Webflow isn't a suitable alternative to replace WordPress, I'm just going to send them this link and uh, you know, say, yeah, you're probably doing more security research than Rakuten, you probably are, I bet you are. Um, your one person shop probably did more research than their enterprise team of security people. <laughs> uh, it's probably true, and this is all sarcasm because I don't think you do. I think, uh, this is a great, great case study and a great example of, of how powerful Webflow is and how much it can do for, um, you know, your, your company or your site. Uh, there were like, if you read the case study, there's a lot of great things, but they talked about major improvements a 12.7% increase in page views, a 27.9% decrease in bounce rate, 9.5% increase in new users, a 3.4 percent increase in pages per session. And the quote that, that hit me on this section was, since rebuilding and redesigning our site on Webflow, our onsite engagement has risen dramatically. Even with previous redesigns, we never saw these results. And so just found this article in this case study to be incredibly powerful. Um, and it, uh, it, I have it saved as a bookmark to quickly reply to anybody who starts talking noise about Webflow and WordPress. Um, really great stuff.
0: I uh, love that, oh, sorry cut you off. No, I was gonna say, I love that they were talking about how much money they saved from being able to handle internal like their edits and updates, their landing pages, all of that versus going with a developer. And I think especially right now, especially small businesses, um, if you're if you're creating your own product, the ability to handle all of your stuff on the fly um, internally and not having to push that out is so powerful and incredible. And to, to think that, you know, it's like you can create your, your marketing teams can come up with their design, their layout, and then they can go and implement those. There is no handoff that you have to use um, with a third party. I just, that's what I thought was really fascinating about this saying that they've saved just $1,500 in the past few months. Uh, Really, really blew me away.
1: Yeah. I love this case study. I just think it's so good. And, And it, it, I don't know as someone who's been saying this a lot and people are like, yes, but you work at webflow. I'm like, yes, but I was doing this. Like I made this transition before I started working for webflow. I I was looking for a way to dump WordPress and a good platform to use and a good, you know, a good tool to use. And I feel like I found it in webflow and now I get to work there, which is really cool, but loved hearing from, you know, a company like this that really poured in resources to find out what, you know, how things worked and to dig into the details that this felt like a better option. Incredible. Really loved it. Uh, link in the show description. Definitely go read that. Uh, Coffee Talk from Webflow. Um, last week was Heather, Leah, and Jack. Uh, Leah from Help Scout, Jack from Lattice, Heather from uh, Webflow. that talked about a bunch of remote working uh, tips and link in the show description. So if you want to go watch that. Um, this week, it will be email. Uh, and I'm going to completely... Uh, murder this name. Uh, Email Villemusen. I'm I'm hoping that I got as close as I possibly can. That's my best guess. He will be talking about taking uh, talking about a resource to help people find design gigs, which is really cool during the COVID crisis. And so I hope you you uh, you log in, you register, you go check out this coffee talk. It's gonna be really really good. And props to the Webflow community team for putting all that together. It's been really great. Buildbox, which lets you build games um, they released uh, best practices for designing for the hyper for hyper casual games which I was I thought was really cool I've been tinkering with BuildBox, and this is an episode we want to do uh, at least I want to do at some point pretty soon talk about what it's like to build a game and I thought this was a really really great look at uh, uh, approach to best practice of how to to build your own so if you've been looking at building a game with BuildBox, go check this out no code rumble so it's coming to a close products go live May 1st. So we're getting, we're getting there and uh, we have some links in the show notes to go check out some of these uh, pieces. So you can't see them all live, but um, I know it's been a long, uh, long slog here, a long uh, journey and for, for creators and product makers and from starting from scratch and then getting here, they've put a ton. I mean, I think about a lot of the, I think about a lot of the no code tools that I've built or apps and one of the things we always hype with no code is the speed that you, you take to get there. And, uh, you know, you can launch in, in a day or two and these are folks that have put a lot of time over the past month, a uh, month and a half to make this happen. So pretty, pretty cool to see this come to a conclusion. And I hope uh, you get a chance to check that out. So keep an eye out for that. Um, and links to the no code rumble Twitter account uh, in the show notes. Seth Fannin, who uh might be our first mention here on the podcast. I, no, I think we've talked about him before. Um uh, Seth has a no-code locals app that he posted about and so it's a basically an app, it's a glide app where you can log in, add yourself to it and kind of pin your location in Google Maps so that you can find other no-coders around you. This is really cool and I thought this was a really great idea. Um have it on my to-do list to go sign up for this actually. So if I can see if there are some other no code people around me besides just me and Matt and <laughs> there's, there's got to be other people.
2: people in Oklahoma right now and no code.
1: <laughs> so, uh, also props to Lacey was mentioned in an article from no code journal. Uh, they did a, they did a blog post about uh, women in the no code space and they mentioned Lacey here. So, and this is actually really great. I, I, uh, One of the things we talk about internally or just off air all the time is the fact that there aren't, um, we don't see, like every time we post something and we have people respond to things, it's always, feels like it's always guys (laughs) responding to that. And it's, there's a lot of people making, but um, not enough, um, not enough. Uh, we don 't see enough women making in this space, and we don 't see enough women represented in the space i think they 're there it 's just we don 't know enough about them, I think all the time and so it 's cool to see another uh, another uh, platform or another um, publication really focus on this and and uh, and kind of shout about it which was really cool so a lot of great follows there by the way uh so in the tweet which we'll link to here there's quite a few women in no code who you could go follow right now that would be really awesome so definitely check that out figma with another update fig links in figma finally i can put a link in figma and link to something else do you know how excited i am um and also calling it, there's already been a lot of like, I'm gonna use Notion as a web page. I'm gonna use Coda as a web page. People are gonna start using Figma boards as a website because you can link to things in them and you can design them however you want. They will be horribly inefficient depending on how they're designed, but people will start doing this. I'm just calling it right now. And I think this is super cool to finally see this at Figma. I've got my own use cases for it, but I know Lacey and Matt both wanna chime in here as well. So.
0: I'm just, like, I I would love to hear what a use case for this would be. I read I read it when they released it, and I was like, oh, that's cool, but it didn't, like, move the marker for me. I love Figma. I use Figma all the time, but I just never, I don't know, I never thought about using real links. So what, what are some things that you think you might use them for?
1: So for me, it would be links to... I'm gonna to link to the fonts that I'm using. So if people open this up and I'm using fonts, they can quickly go grab the fonts that I'm using and download them. Links to resources and assets that may live outside of Figma. If there's any, you know, if you work with a team and there's a doc that um, really drives what the product or the piece that you're building is shaped by being able to link out to that and have that all in the board with everything. So it's kind of, I guess for as great as Figma is, and I do have some documentation in my Figma boards, it's not a doc. And so sometimes there's just more that has to be said. Um, and there's notes and revisions and things that exist in places. And so just having them in one place and knowing I only have to track that Figma link, I think it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But uh, there will be designers who have their whole portfolio. It's just a Figma board calling it right now. That's happening.
2: I, think this is very cool the only thing i have to add here is i will take the bet against you we will not see maybe we'll see like one or two people will, will use this as a website but
1: I, that I, counts i don't know and it will happen
2: okay all right that's fair then i can't bet
1: against you i retract my bet I, I think it will happen i think like it's weird you see enough people who are like hey like well okay here's a great example i've been um working on a bravo studio piece which shout out to their team they are super cool Um, and absolutely love that product. We'll say it again here over and over and over again how much we love Bravo Studio, but uh, their support docs are in Notion. I can see people just literally routing a domain to a Figma board, especially if it's a design, like if you work in design or you have, it's really easy for you to throw together like a portfolio of thumbnails. And now you can link out to like, if you worked on this project, you can literally have a screenshot, some little pieces about the project and people can click the link and go visit the site. Why would you, you know, uh, people are going to find novel uses for this and I'm super excited to see what this looks like, but uh, I love it. This is something I've been waiting for and I was excited to see this happen. Um, Makerpad. Makerpad has a new podcast uh, that is launching. Well, we're, our podcast come out on Tuesday. This You should be listening to this. Well, it came out on Tuesday. I don't know when you listen to it. You may like save it. Some people like save their podcast and they listen for the weekend. And some people, uh, everybody has their, their own process, but uh maker pads podcast is launching on Tuesday, which if you're listening to this today, or it was in the past, I don't know. This is, I'm going to break the space time continuum. Uh, but essentially what exactly is happening is uh, we're recording this on Sunday, April 19th. That means uh, the 21st of April, their uh, podcast will launch. And so looking forward to that. Always down to hear more people talk about no code. So definitely go subscribe and check it out. Integramat. So I just want to say props to Arpit for the support. Um, I reached out about an issue with meetup and uh, they have meetup documented on their tooling, but I couldn't get it to show up. And it was because meetup actually, since they sold, they changed their, API access, so they're having to go back through the rounds to hopefully get access again. But um, uh, I appreciated the help and the support there. But they also Integromat has a module that helps people keep up with numbers from COVID-19, which I thought was really cool. So if you're building any apps related around that, to be able to automatically get the numbers you need without having to connect to a third-party service was really cool. So um, this is this so is not
0: My bad. I just totally interrupted you. This is not um, on the outline, but it is slightly related to that. Did you see, do you know what Elf site is?
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: They have a widget like a COVID-19 widget that pulls in stats from who the world health organization, and you can embed that into your website, like any website that takes embeds. Um, I actually did a full tutorial on this, um, but then really screwed it up in editing. So, um, it's not going to be released, but that is, that's another cool, you know, COVID tracker that you could add, add in.
1: I love it. Elfsite.com link in the show descriptions. They have a lot of really cool things. They have all these different widgets from like adding reviews to your site to uh, social media chats, forms, all kinds of different pieces. Um, I've used them for some Instagram embeds before, I think. Um, so definitely worth checking out a really cool tool. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's cool to see all these no code companies kind of supporting tracking cases for people who are trying to do some of that work on, on websites and, and inform people and get information out. It's been pretty awesome. So, good stuff i would also say um we'll find a link to this but webflow university has been releasing modules every week or or content every week for businesses who are trying to keep the doors open and keep pivoting and adjusting to new realities and so um make sure you're checking that out as well while we're on the subject so but that's it for our no code roundup so uh, as we said before this is where uh, fair warning, we'll, you might get some language in the next part, but just wanted you to know. I uh, hope you enjoy with this uh, this conversation between Kat and Lacey, and we'll talk to you all next week.
0: Bye. So today I'm here with Kat, and she is the founder of Stark, and we are going to get into um, more about Stark later in the episode, but I wanted to start off with Kat. If you could tell me uh, more about yourself and how you got into design in the first place
3: oh, more about me that's such a loaded <laughs> question uh, where do I start I feel like I've lived a thousand lifetimes um, more about me uh, I'll, I'll go with uh, I'll go with how I got into design um, so I, th- I think um, as with as with all things and I think that boils down to the, the question about who I am you know you kind of need to go back to Childhood, right, and and you know, I think at a very early age, I was fascinated with technology, but didn't really have access to it. I mean, we had um, we had like game consoles, so I grew up with like Atari and and Super Nintendo and, and whatnot, and um, but but I I wouldn't you know have access to a computer for quite some years uh, after that. So, but but still, nonetheless, the the. The idea of technology in general, and from what digging I could do, you know, in like the newspaper and whatnot, um, I was fascinated with it. And I, I've always kind of had a thing for really good products. Like I loved things that, in general, that were intentional and well-made um, and was always a systems thinker and, and and fascinated with art. And so, you know, we didn't have technology, you know, prominently in the house but um you know i always had something being sketched or something being painted and granted you know you know, painting is not design but i think you know when you don't have access to the technology for that like conversion um you know that's what it was there and um, once i realized you know in uh in high school that you could convert that you know that can that that world could be digitized um I was I was quite intrigued. Um and so I took a class in um in high school. So I took a Photoshop class, but before that was like on MySpace and digging around and on forums um and uh, uh probably get in trouble as Adobe is a partner of ours, but uh was pirating uh, Adobe <laughs> software. Um <laughs> as I think everyone did. It's not just me. Um And, and yeah, just, just, you know, worked with, with what I had. So it started off as very like graphic design and I was like designing skins for like soda cans and whatnot to start and, and banners and whatnot for MySpace pages. Um, but, but, but I think that was all like this snowball that got me to now, you know, I realized at that point that, um, design could be much more grand, you know, that, that it wasn't just, you know, graphic design or uh, print design, but, uh, but product in general, and, you know, things, everything is made. Um, Yeah, I think that, I think that was the, the snowball, if you will.
4: Right, right. So did you have like a traditional approach to design? Like, did you go to design school or like have that focus in
3: school? No, 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 um, you know, I, I, I grew up in a, you know, simple times and simple people. And, and, uh, I think that's, you know, just, I'm not complaining about that. I think that is exactly what grounds me to this day. Um, that we, 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 we didn't have this abundance and, and, um, you know, at the same time though, um, or rather because of that, you know, art and design, you know, that entire world was kind of seen as not lucrative. Um, they were, you know, converged into one and and um, and seen as like this extra, you know, where I grew up in, and, and, you know, the world that I grew up in at the time, anything freelance was kind of deemed as like directly correlated to being poor or not like being like not going anywhere in life. And the, like the last thing that you know your family wants for you, especially when you're when you're not in this like abundant bracket is to end up in that same position, right and so um yeah, not being exposed to that world and um and also having that narrative um, for me, it was like, okay, this is something that I can enjoy as a hobby, but it wasn't something in my mind as as naive as that sounds um it wasn't something that I thought I could make a living off of. Um, Even though I wanted to, I absolutely loved it. But uh, so I ended up going to school um, or into school as a bio major, um, focused on pre med, you know, well, we'll focused on pediatric neuroscience. You know, I wanted to end up as a pediatric neurosurgeon, but um, so completely different, uh, completely different world. But, you know, as I, was exposed to more and did more digging and had more access. That's what it boils down to, right, is education and access. Um, You know, I realized that this world was so much more big than I ever realized and and, and, and knew and and went from there. And I'd eventually, you know, I stayed in school for a bit. Um, A few years in, my grandfather um, was diagnosed with Cancer um, and didn't realize how quickly that would metastasize, and, and realize that it was end stage. Um, mm. So for about a year, um, that was you know the world that we lived in. Um, yeah, you know, in in hospitals, and and I think a few things um, came together there too. Him being sick, me not being really present at school, and at the same time realizing that there were so many things about what I was doing at school that I just didn't foresee me being able to sit with, you know, 30 years down the road. One was yeah. that I kept being called back to design. Mm-hmm. And the idea of what design could do for even the world of medicine, just boggled my mind and, and it excited mm-hmm. me. Um, and at the same time, I, you know, I said to myself, is this something that I can do? Um, it, does it set my soul on fire? Does it make me tick? Um, and the answer was no, I, I, I couldn't, you know, there's, there's a calling that needs to come with that job. And um, I, I didn't want to fast forward 30 years and no matter how much of a difference I knew I could make, I I wasn't there and I didn't like the idea of needing to tell parents that their kids died on my table or that I couldn't save them. And I think a lot came together because also, you know, keeping my, my grandfather at the same time and who, you know, was, I was raised by my grandparents. Uh, so that's, you know, mm-hmm. essentially my, my father. Um, and so I think it was very pivotal and very, um, you know, c- career and trajectory altering. Um, and I just realized like, I, I can't, I can't do this. I was there for the wrong reasons. I was, you know, I was doing that for the wrong reasons. Um, and, uh, and so I went, I dropped out and, um, Yeah. Yeah. Dropped out, went to work for the New York city board of ed, um, while I built up a portfolio. Mm-hmm. um in design, so um you know I was working with um predominantly special ed, so children um, with autism and a spectrum of um behavioral and cognitive and physical disabilities and disorders and um you know that opened my world to to now I just didn't know it at the time
4: yeah 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 that your your story really resonates with me my My dad um found out he had late stage cancer and we had about a year left with him and through that period, I went through like this um soul searching like what am I doing with my life um yeah. I began to see the agility of life and how um all of these things kind of like unfolding before me and it was like i'm you know at that point I think i was oh gosh i guess late 20s and um and yeah and it just it really made me uh double down on what i wanted to do and to really uh kind of go against like what i thought you know what here's here's this path that i've been on and this is just what i should do because it's what i've been doing um and that that pushed me into a different one so that that really resonates with me deeply so when you you started working for um, the, the New York City Board of Education and then mm-hmm. you were doing freelance on the side. Yeah. Was it like graphic design? Was it like, or what, what kind of freelancing gigs were you picking up?
3: Everything, you know, at the time it was more of like anything that I could get my hands on that would expose me to everything I needed to know about the world of design and my craft um and and much like you would you know as a as a doctor like kind of get your feet wet in every aspect to determine that lane that you really want to be in um but i think in order to to better understand the foundations of your craft you need to be exposed to it in the same way you would be if you were an apprentice right um but here in the states that's just no longer a thing or at least it's not this majority or even close to majority majority being 51 percent, all the way up to 99 um and uh and and so I, I knew um i knew that i needed to to get my feet wet in a variety of things so whether it was you know a logo um, that i was picking up which for what it's worth uh i've come to find that i'm uh great at conceptualizing logos but i suck at executing on them um but uh <laughs> yeah. but yeah i, I um yeah like i just you know i i fell in love with with creating brands and I fell in love with creating um you know products that stood out and um and stood for something um and 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 just tried my best to get viciously good at what I was doing you know i didn't um i I'm, I'm 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 not a fan of adding noise to anything whether it's a conversation with someone whether it's um you know a blog post whether it's work I you know I really try my best to always deliver signal and um and so that's that's what I spent a large part of my time doing it so logos branding websites you name it I was fucking doing it and then I just tried to build up my portfolio as much as possible
4: yeah yeah no that 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 makes complete sense. Were there um, like any resources that while you were learning that really stood out to you that like, you know, looking back, you're like that made such a difference in my, you know, essentially like DIY education?
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, So for what it's worth, I don't regret not going to school for design. I think, particularly here in the states, it's not really set up to be conducive to learning, and I think that's even a much more broader conversation about uh, the traditional educational system in general. Yeah. But um, you know, we the technology is is advancing so much faster than the books can even print, mm-hmm. um, and so um, for me at the time, though now we're rewinding like 13 plus years. Uh, yeah, more than 13 years ago um, on this journey toward, toward establishing a career for myself. Um, at the time, it was a variety of things. So what I did was, you know, I would find every, because um, at the time it was Photoshop. And so I would find every Photoshop file I could download and I downloaded it and I completely peeled the files apart. Mm-hmm. Um, so then that's like learning the software and learning how people were piecing things together and the order of operations, different order of operations that different people were taking and trying to find out the most efficient way to do that, um, you know, any one particular thing. So that was big for me, everything from like reconstructing a button all the way down to um, putting together a website um, and a flowchart for it. And and um, and so I did that quite a lot. Um, and the other was uh, at the time tuts plus tooth plus tuts plus i don't know what everybody calls it i think yeah like the, the gift gif conversation um yeah, <laughs> so uh i was on there uh religiously um you know just trying to trying to reap the benefits of of, of you know what everybody else shared on the internet um mm-hmm. and uh yeah, I think that was a combination of things and just reading, nonstop reading and talking to people, you know, that was one thing that um, I wish I saw more of now, but I, I really don't, was, um, was this ability to like easily chime into a conversation on the internet, like on Twitter in particular, um, and kind of be accepted into that conversation despite you not knowing what you're talking about like it being very clear that you're someone trying to learn um and so i you know i knew at the end of the day the worst that was going to happen was someone would tell me no or they'd completely ignore me and i was just not in any different position than i was already so for me it was like fuck it um but yeah i mean i i tried to i tried to get into and you know the circles as much as i could and um and have conversations with everyone and and now you know looking back hindsight's 2020 um but looking back establishing those connections and 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 even those like light touch engagements um was one of the best and most pivotal things i did for my career um you know i didn't i didn't care whether or not um you know someone ignored me and it was just like let me let me just reach out and and now A lot of those relationships are, I'm very close with people now um, and or may not necessarily have conversations on a regular basis, but the reaping the benefits of those connections is now like fast forward 10 years coming to fruition. Um, And and so it's, it's, you got to look at it as a, you know, being able to delineate between short term and long term gain. Um, and understanding that at the end of the day, we're all people, and, and and you know, you just you need to you need to take what you can get, um, and you know, there are some people that are are willing to share their time, and um, you know, figuring out who the best people are for that, because even that people, there are many people that deliver noise, um, and uh, and learn from them as much as possible, learn what you know, learn from their mistakes, you know, I think that first and foremost. Um, yeah i think that was the combo uh doing 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 uh connecting um reading understanding learning just forever learning i'm still not an expert so trying my best
4: yeah no that definitely makes sense and that's something like in the like especially in the no code space um there are pretty limited resources when it comes to learning uh, especially when it comes like stitching tools together and um if you don't have a coding things are just really um, confusing and don't make sense if you mm. understand some you know basics and essentials and um, that's one thing I have seen some that I you know want to see more of is people helping each other with their projects with their side things that they're building um, and even just understanding and learning I think it's really wonderful when people give back of their time and mm-hmm. um, even though you know, it, it doesn't really benefit them, but I feel like helping someone out when you've learned something, especially if you've had yeah. to learn it the hard way, if you can help people not go down that same path um, is really valuable and beneficial.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's, it's been interesting to you know now in you know, this time period, so much has popped up um, since I, I first got into the world of design and technology in general. So much new technology and new ways of working um has popped up, and it's been amazing to watch um not only the the new types of solutions to building software but the conversations around it and the pushback for that matter um you know ha- has been phenomenal particularly with with no code right um you know we saw this with um you know, there there are a few of these things that pop up so the no code and then the designer should code and um the, the, they shouldn't or this that and the third um mm. and anything new anything that is um, polarizing in some way, which I absolutely love, um, is, is going to create, um, uh, a bit of friction. And I think that's really good. Um, because too often, um, we don't, we don't criticize and we don't have these really important conversations around these things and we don't, and in turn, we, we, we end up creating mediocre work. And we mm-hmm. put mediocre work out there, um, and 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 I I just I I, I can't fucking stand it. And so um, for for things like MakerPad, for instance, and Webflow, like MakerPad, like they, you know, helping build these like alternative software solutions without code is is really cool. And Webflow making it ridiculously easy. Um, Zapier, you know connecting into those things it's just like you know I love I love it because not everybody has access you know we can we can get as much education as 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 we want for the most part but not everybody has access to the software and the tools and the people Um, and I think that in general is a privilege Um, and so privilege isn't a dirty word um, but if you're someone Mm -hmm. that's in that position you need to use it um, and so when you see products like this come about, um, and make it so that anybody can boot something up and it be quality and it actually often improves the overall usability for people that just, that gets me going. I'm, I'm on board yeah. with that.
4: Yeah. A hundred percent. That's where, that's where we stand and what we wholeheartedly believe in too. So have you ever played around with Webflow? Have you
3: built anything in it? Um, built something? No. Uh, well, yes and no. Um, like build something that exists out in the wild, no. Um, mm-hmm. Use it and played around with it and build something in order to determine. Um, yeah. Um, and um, for me, that just, I, I think it's fantastic um, for those, you know, who are interested in using that particular product. Um, yeah. Yeah. Very
4: cool. Have you ever coded before or done any like- yeah. Yeah, stuff like that.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm by no, I'm, I am a designer wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I'm a designer that happens to know some code. Um, yeah. But I wouldn't consider myself an engineer, um, mm-hmm. you know, but, um, but yeah, have, you know, I'm exposed to code, like, if we push something, um, and something is completely fucked, for the most part, I can go in and fix it, um, and, uh, and or boot something up. But um, but I, you know, at this point now, I'm, I'm actually not even, I'm not even designing as much as I would like to. Now it's much more um, broad strokes and conceptualization and, um, and kind of uh, dealing with, you know, the, the everyday tasks to keep the, the company running. Um, mm-hmm. So the, the kind of chief everything, but the, I'm fortunate that, um, that, you know, everyone on the team um, is, so everyone on the team is able to, for the most part, oversee the other's tasks, um, if need be. And by that, I mean, we're not this like engineer driven or design driven, you know, um, organization. Um, Mm -hmm. we're very much so, like we consider ourselves a quality driven organization. And so, Mm -hmm. um, you know, engineers, um, are very well aware of design and its role and, um, and what's needed for handoff, and what's needed to create a usable and accessible, and then, you know everything, you know, all encompassing, fantastic experience. And designers are very much so aware um, of even the just the basic fundamentals of of code um, and what is needed for a proper handoff, and and um, and and for that matter, where the constraints are and where those constraints can be bent uh, technologically. And so, um, I'm I'm super appreciative of that.
4: Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So like you were touching back on what you're saying earlier. So like you don't get to do this much design anymore. It's more the broad stroke. So do you feel like, is it a difficult transition kind of going from designer to founder? And then now it's like mission oriented of what you're focused on and doing?
3: Well, you know, I mean, those are a few different things that all kind of, you know, two sides of the same coin. Um, so I don't I don't get to yeah I am more on the the broad strokes of things now it's shitty um, but it's very much so the the role that I'm grateful for um, so I, you know I'm complaining but at the same time I'm very much so not complaining um, yeah right. you know this is you know, it's my my first it's not my first time as a founder it's my first time as a CEO of a company that's actually going somewhere which is a very different experience Um mm-hmm. But that transition was really interesting because I went from freelance, so like student, self-taught student designer to freelance designer to, um, you know, I, I led um, design for ADPs, innovation labs, and, you know, then went to agency work and then worked for a startup and, you know, did that for a couple of times um, and, um, you know, contracted like in-house with startups. And so I kind of saw like just how different spaces different companies operated and things that were great and things that were not great so that helped a ton um and then you know when i co-founded my first company i i went from being you know designer to chief design officer and so you you like that switch to like still doing my role but more like an executive so you know overseeing more of the broad strokes there and what that's like getting my feet wet there um so it wasn't this like toss me into the cold water. And then like, I got to figure it out. Um, you know, as a CEO, very much so was the case um, and is the case I'm still going through. And, and, and I will continue to, so long as the company exists, still go through these, you know, what it's like to be a CEO of a, a, a an expanding company as we continue to grow, but um, but not uh, tossed into the cold in terms of, um, you know, needing to, to, to understand the ins and outs of um, more of a, administrative role if you will um you know in the day-to-day operations that come with running a startup um but but yeah for me now it's you know unfortunate now that i i get to really have my hands in in like everything that's going on um but i know that as we grow that will change and and now we're also starting to shift away from that too um where um yeah, there's just certain things, you know, that I'm, that I'm focusing on more than, than others. And, and, you know, I just so happen to, to have a fantastic team that's, um, that just, just knows how to operate properly um, and knows how to be autonomous and knows how to um, work well together. And, And, and I think the fact that I think the fact that we are mission driven, um, plays a role there, because there's always this North Star at the helm of what we're doing. Um, And uh, and, you know, everyone turns to that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I I think that answered the question.
4: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, no, for sure. For sure. So how did you get the idea for Stark? (laughs) What brought that about?
3: So I was working on my last project, um, Iris, Iris Health, and um, I mean, at the time we were we were building a, we're designing and building um, a product um, in the you know health tech space, mm-hmm. and it was for older adults. Um, and you know, with that in mind, we knew that if anybody was going to take it seriously, and we wanted to hook into you know all the things we wanted to hook into, and partner with that, um, there were certain things that we just needed to be complying with, um, and more so than that we wanted it to be a great experience for everyone. And in order to do that, there were certain things that needed to be abided by and that was, you know, type needed to be a certain way, you know, contrast needed to be high. Um, The colors needed to be very pointed um, in terms of, you know, very intentional as with all things and all products. And, um, you know, I was looking for something that could make, you know, our life easier um, when it came to this process, you know, understanding everything that needed to happen in terms of accessibility. Um, and at the time I was still very, um, uneducated in that regard. And, um, nonetheless though, I realized that, you know, there was nothing there that solved our need. Like I was, you know, in sketch at the time, that was all the rage and, um, you know, everything, you know, every solution that existed was either like isolated and fragmented. So it like wasn't hooked into the tool that I was using on a daily basis. So it was very much so this out of sight, out of mind, Or just inherently, you know, inaccessible, which is irony at its finest, Um, only catered to like a single use case and it was expensive or it required a consultant or it had this like low tech or like non human readable, you know, documentation. um, Nobody I could turn to or it was like really ugly and it just got to a point where, you know, we were like. Like why can we fucking land something on the moon, but we can't have a solution for for designing products that are inclusive and you know accessible and 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 you know guided by compliance? And so we built like version, you know, we call it like negative five of what Stark would become, um, and um, you know, you know that helped. Um, and so um, you know, we built it and and released it to the world because you know people were raving about it once they saw what we were doing mm-hmm. and uh, and it just snowballed from there and we'd eventually put iris um you know we'd stop working on it um and and really dug deep into like what people were actually raving about and you know built on it from there um you know went into this rabbit hole of understanding the world of accessibility and and um and came out of it with so many different realizations about mm-hmm. Um, not just accessibility and inclusivity and disability, um, but, but on the way that we build and what product development in general looks like, um, which is extremely insightful. Um, and, and for us, it just, you know, with those learnings, we were able to create this like true version one of um what individuals would get their hands on. Um and um and, and, and again once they had that, you know, it snowballed from there too. Um but but the biggest learnings for us were, you know, that there's a very true fear about how to execute, how to do this really good work. Um and uh and it's also really expensive to create uh compliant software. Um and that the world of it was wasn't is really dated. So for us, it just became like, how do we flip this shit completely on its head? Um, And um, and not only create, you know, create something that removes these stigmas, um, create something that provides designers and engineers and PMs with the tools they need um, to build products um, that that give access to so many people not just individuals with disability because you know i, I think it's easy to i think it's easy to, to to look at accessibility and think oh this helps individuals mm-hmm. um with disabilities but i think we need to change the narrative um a little bit um because it 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 helps everyone you know there's two sides to this coin there is the ethics side which you need to pay attention to because purely if you're ignoring individuals with disabilities um, simply because they look like a footnote to you, then you're an asshole. Um, mm-hmm. but, but I think one thing we've realized, um, mm-hmm. you know, over the course of the time building is that um, compliance is table stakes. You know, it's a side effect of inclusive design. So, you know, it's one of the gotchas. You can be entirely usable and not compliant. Um, but it's exciting and impactful for individuals on teams to focus on inclusion and user experience, which they should be. You know, us designers and engineers and PM should be should be having the discussion about creating design or creating work in general that is inclusive and that has an overall great experience. Um, but that's why we said from the beginning that we build these like integrated tools as these, you know, sticky hooks. Um, and, you know, it, it just, there's no reason why, more than 99% of the internet, you know, not including software um, can't be used by individuals with disabilities. There's just zero reason. Um, and, and there's also even more zero reason why um, There shouldn't be like they just there's there's zero reason why our products don't have overall great experiences The the tools in order to do that. Um, the technology rather is there. So we said, how do we how do we create a solution um that does just that that provides these tools and 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 sheds light on misconceptions around inclusion and accessibility um and makes it ridiculously easy for all of us in product development as a whole um to 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 cater to such a forgotten demographic um yeah I think that was a long-winded answer but yeah
4: no that was that's was absolutely fantastic and i love your passion behind this thank you that's what is so encouraging to hear is that you're not only building something but it's it's you know it's it has a focus it's very intentional it's very purposeful and it is serving a group of people that that are forgotten, that are looked over because they're not the majority, because, you know, it may be more difficult to go this way or it doesn't get this design you know, this way. Um, if you take out accessibility and I just, I, I love that, that you're doing it and that you're doing it in a way that it's saying, you know, we can meet you where you are and you're not like we can integrate into these tools. We can make mm-hmm. it to where you really have no excuse to right. not make it accessible. And I, shared on a a previous episode I have a nephew who has cerebral palsy Mm -hmm. and he relies on screen readers and I never realized how important accessibility is until I started sitting with him while he was like going through a screen Mm -hmm. Um, and how it you know it we would get to a page and it would just make me so angry if he couldn't go through it Mm -hmm. because there was there was no accessibility there for him and he's, you know, has, has value and dignity just like the rest of us. And right. because he's different, um, you know, doesn't mean that he shouldn't enjoy the same things that we do. Mm-hmm. And, um, so yeah, absolutely. I, I love, I love your heart behind
3: this and and I'm really excited about it. I think it's very, very cool. Thank you. I really appreciate that big time. Um, I mean, for us, yeah, for us, I think like most things you find are disruptive in a in a pretty bad way, um, and it's because the tools suck. Um, but for us, the 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 goal is to is to be this go to for you know all things accessibility um, and, and help people build in a manner that results in their work being accessible because it is inclusive, you know because we help them. You know, provide them with the tools and 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 help them lean on the ancillary benefits outside of accessibility, so that you know they're not just legally compliant continually, um, but also inclusive and and provides this great user experience for for every user. You know, because I think it's easy to look at you know who falls into the you know the 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 legally um, like legally disabled um, category. Um but we, we ignore so many people that um that, that that haven't attended a doctor and got that legal, you know, um that legal you know title if you will, that legal label. Um and we also ignore individuals um that have invisible disabilities. Um and, and so, you know, I think one hand washes the other two hands wash the face, right? You know, we Yeah. We on the one hand provide product development teams with the the tools to help those who need it you know make the make make products more inclusive at the same time it's important to note that that's not enough for most stakeholders in an organization um and that has been one thing that has not been lost on us is that you know we have this thing um where we talk about um I think the best way to describe it is like how um, how stakeholders or um, executives, if you will, um, determine risk. And so risk is a big part of um, uh, like the immediate everyday problems that exist in this space. Um, And for us, you know, we say that like ethics change team culture, exposure changes executive mind and profit loss changes action. And so when you when you look at the risk that comes with it and that's like the the risk is like cost of retrofitting potential lawsuits public exposure profit and customer loss you start to realize um how important it is that you do this not you know not necessarily from the very beginning that's the ideal you know most people don't though um but you retrofit and you do what you need to to get to a point where you are you know pushing inclusive products out there um because the cost of that is the cost of not doing so is significantly higher than um you know the cost of you um you know baking it in and so um i think it's important for teams to note that um it's much more than a conversation about ethics um in order to convince those people and top-down organizations um, why this needs to get pushed through to the pipeline um but uh, but yeah
4: yeah, 100%, 100%. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all of this with us. I know that our listeners are we have um a lot a lot of designers that listen to our podcast and interest in no-code tools and I hope that they're hearing this and taking in all this information and taking it to heart whether back to their projects or their organizations that they work for. So where are so you're I'm at cat noon on twitter and then is it stark.com or co yeah you
3: know, so it's um so on twitter um stark is uh, at get stark co mm-hmm. and uh website is get stark um dot co and mm-hmm. um i'm what's what's my twitter name? it was at i'm cat noon okay sweet
4: sweet so if you're listening to this definitely go check out cat go check out stark Um, Very awesome, very needed software for your projects, for your designs. And thank you so much, Kat, for being on with me today. I have been so looking forward to this and I just am so appreciative of your time, thank you. I appreciate it big time, thanks for having me. Absolutely, have a good one. You too. All right, bye-bye.
0: Thanks for listening to visualdev.fm. You can find us on your favorite social media platform at visualdev.fm.